Hey there, all you ghouls and goblins. Radio 85.9 proudly presents Horror Zoid with your hosts, Stevie Scares and Natalie Nightmare, talking all things horror from the 80s, 90s, and today. Today's episode is brought to you by Horga Senior Living. Trust your loved ones with us in their golden years. Horga Senior Living Facility. Rules and regulations apply. Void where prohibited. All seniors must be willing to sacrifice themselves at the age of 72 for the better benefit of the cult and the Horga. Well, sure as God's got sandals, we're back with another episode of Horror Zoid. <laughs> I'm Stevie Scares. And I'm Natalie Nightmare. Thank you for joining us, everybody, for another week of exciting horror movie action. We're still going through our favorite genres and some of our favorite films that encompass that genre. Today, we are talking about folk horror. This one's been a tough subject for us because there's a lot of gray area and you kind of start splitting hairs the more you talk about what makes a folk horror movie a folk horror movie. Uh, And so we've had some debate and hopefully uh, you guys can join in on that a little bit as we talk about some of these movies. Yeah, folk horror, Natalie has a very specific definition of what folk horror is to her, whereas I have a very much more broad definition of folk horror. To me, folk horror is literally, if you're in the middle of nowhere, you're in a folk, a fucking folk horror movie. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, that to me, like, that's that's all it takes. So, you can see why there would be a lot of films that fall into that genre. Yeah. And, and this is one of those, though, that uh, I had to do a lot of kind of reading and different, you know, like, top 15 folk horror movies just to kind of, like get my brain going a little bit to think about some of the movies we wanted to talk about. But, um, you know, with it, if you go to Wiki, which is like, you know, the godsend of, of the modern age, but it usually includes a rural setting, themes of isolation, uh, power of nature. This is, I'm literally reading it verbatim, what it may include. And so there's a lot of, again, kind of gray areas because some of the movies, even one that we posted on TikTok, I feel like some people would argue isn't a full core, but I, I think it is, and we'll get to that later. But, you know, one that's glaringly obvious and recent, and a lot of people love it or hate it, that I wanted to talk about is The Witch. The Witch is a good one. Before we get into The Witch, though, just want to do some quick housekeeping items. Don't forget, leave oh, us yeah. a review. For Horrorzoid, wherever you listen to your podcast, those reviews help bump us up. Yes. Uh, Keep an eye out for certain things. We're adding all sorts of little stuff. If you listen to us on Spotify, polls and questions that you can participate Mm -hmm. in, follow us on Horrorzoid Pod. Follow us on TikTok at Horrorzoid Pod (laughs) is what I meant to say. Yeah. So follow us on all of our outlets there. And of course, Horrorzoid.com if you're not sure where we're at. And even more reason to follow now is that uh, we kind of started to tease that here, hopefully by the end of the year, if not into the new year, we will have a store launch. Uh, The Gooleria is going to be selling the official merchandise for Horrorzoid, but we will have merch so you can represent us. Uh, Some of it obviously will be, you know, our logo, our name, uh, but a lot of other fun little things uh, involving the movies that we all love. So keep an eye out, look for that merch, and snag a a shirt or hat or hoodie, whatever the fuck else I decide to make. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna be dipping our toe into everything here, and of course, yeah. uh, it's only the beginning. We we plan on expanding and launching way more here in the future. So yeah. if you've been with us, we appreciate it, and uh, we hope you stick with us uh, as we keep going. Yeah. But without further ado, let's talk some folk horror. And right now, we're gonna start with, as Natalie said, 
The Vavitch. <laughs> yeah, so directed by Robert Eggers, uh, who also did The Lighthouse, which you kind of talked about potential being a folklore because of its, uh, I mean, it kind of checks all the boxes, really. It does check but, all the boxes. But The Witch is one of those, I love the setting, everything about this movie puts you in the time period. Um, obviously, we've talked about this. We did an episode on witch movies, and obviously this was included. Um, talked about Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah, talked about Anya Taylor-Joy. in our Final Girls episode. But she's, I mean, everything about this movie is beautiful. It really puts you in the landscape, makes you feel as much unease as the family does, and I think that's ultimately what makes this a perfect example of a folk horror. No, it does. And, and the fact that, uh, I mean, the... the fucking movie starts and they are literally cast out of their church for being too religious and too extreme in their faith Yikes! and they're cast out into the middle of nowhere and thus mm -hmm. starts our folk horror setting of them out there fending for themselves as mm -hmm. we mentioned they are they have to hunt for their own food they have to grow their own produce they literally Which have to like take care right of everything before harvest so like good luck you should be harvesting and they're just trying to find good earth to to have any kind of produce to move into winter and of course you have the iconic scene from the trailer where she's playing peekaboo with the baby and then she looks and the baby's gone and they don't know where it went and thus kicks off our lovely chase of cat and mouse with the witch and who's the witch and who's not the witch i just love Such that we get movie. to see the um the the witch's oil getting made with yeah, uh, with the that, baby uh, and, and and just fucking being discarded and turned into the oil that was right i know a, a beautiful i know a lot of people uh joke about you know the whole witches eating children to stay young but it's like you know we can watch hocus pocus where they make a weird potion literally suck the soul out of a child and everyone's just like oh it's disney but this is like they literally grind a baby up in a mortar and pestle and like rub it on themselves um, and it's fucking terrifying, but yeah. you get uh, this really cool, you know, you can see that there's a, a mother maiden crone through the movie kind of thing. And it's just every, every moment of it is, is terrifying and beautiful. And again, the setting is just, it checks it off for me. Yeah. And, and the setting is, is really an underrated and understated aspect of the film. You know, mm -hmm. we get caught up in the drama between the family and, Obviously, the the witch herself, and, and and all of these things, and as everybody just descends into madness. But really, it's it's a perfect example of uh, you know cabin fever, right. uh, which An we will absolute, get to later. <laughs> <laughs> An absolute isolation, even to the point where there's like there's no horse anymore by the end of the movie. Yeah, no horse. There's like they have uh, everything Black just Phillip. feels so dreary and yeah. hopeless, and it's it's great. Well, and, and by the end of the movie, we see that Thomason, it, it makes you wonder, would she have been so quick to accept the offers of Black Philip to live deliciously and the taste of butter <laughs> and all that? Would she, be a, would she have been so quick to have accepted that offer had she been around other people? Had there been other influences out there? Had she not yeah. just been stuck, isolated with her crazy religious family? For, right. you know, the, the last who knows how and fucking And two little long. twins that are fucking annoying. Right. Jonas! Mercy! <laughs> they were obnoxious little But I fuckers. love them. I think, and that's something that's really cool too, is like, there's all this drama, like you said, going on with the family and they're trying to figure out where the one kid's gone. But then you have these two little fucking kids that are like, 
just randomly in the middle of the movie, they're like, oh, we've been talking to Black Phillip. And you're like, fucking weirdo, little kids. And you don't think anything of it. And it's a great mislead to whenever he actually does do something. Oh, I swear for the longest time watching that movie, like uh, the first time I watched it, I remember thinking... They're just fucking around. They're cl- they don't they aren't talking to shit. They right. nothing is happening. They're just little dickheads. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, when you fucking see Black Phillip walk behind Thomason, yeah, and say all that, I'm like, well, not to mention, you know, kills the dad. Well, yeah, yeah, no, ex- exactly, <laughs> yeah. We, in goat form, yeah, yeah, he kills the dad, literally impales them with the fucking horns. But yeah, whenever he's he walks Gores behind, him. that's one of those things too. Is like, I know. It would probably change the movie's dynamic and especially the scene so much. But if you look up Black Phillip human costume, like that's all you have to Google, and look at what the act- the actor actually looked like, and he kind of had this like dandy costume on with a big hat and a feather, very like three musketeers y looking. Yeah, he's very, he's, he's like a musketeer, a buccaneer, yeah, a cavalier, but he looks so all those things. cool. And, I, and I've seen people talk about like his outfit didn't seem right for the time. I'm like, yeah, it did. You just have these really poor farmers these settlers yep. in uh you know new england and then you have this guy who you know is like the devil kind and he's of clear yeah clearly he right. is of wealth and of means and he can give all but that you to only Thomas, see that's like the idea a boot and a hand and like a little bit of a gold sheen off of part of his jacket i would have loved to have seen more of him in the movie but i think it would have absolutely ruined it right robert eggers hopefully maybe he can expand into that universe it doesn't seem like he has any plans to anytime soon, but I think a Black Phillip film. Black Phillip 5, Black Phillip in New York. Right, Black Black right. Phillip 6, Phillip goes to space. <laughs> right. Nothing's blacker than a black hole, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be, that. that's the movie I want to see is Black yeah. Phillip in fucking yeah, someone, space. Someone do that spinoff right, for us. That is a series that needs a franchise right there. The Babitch franchise. There we go. Yep. And speaking of uh, some weird little comedy there, um, the next one we're going to talk about is the Wicker Man. Everybody told us to talk about the Wicker Man, but I, I we we have to confess something. We have here. a confession for we you. We do guys. have a confession. We have never seen the original Wicker Man. Neither one of us. We has have ever only seen, it. seen the 2006 Nicholas fucking cage wicker man that's right that's and right. i'm really sorry about that uh we actually wanted to watch it <laughs> before uh we recorded this episode so we could talk about it we know a lot about it we've seen tons of clips about it yeah. uh i think it was even recently on the 101 scariest movie moments countdown so there's a lot i feel like you can't be into horror and not know a little bit you know at least about the original wicker man but um, so we're only going to really talk about briefly the, uh, the new one here. Right. Yeah. Nicholas Cage, the, uh, the remake made in 2006, everybody shit on it. Even Christopher Lee himself shit on it. And with good reason, it is not a great movie, No, but it is, it's, it's a lot of fun because, you know, cage gone cage, you know, exactly. Nicholas Cage brings his absolute Nicholas Cageiest performance to this role. And how can you not love this remake of The Wicker Man when it literally gave us the Nicolas Cage bees memes and gifs and videos that were all over the fucking internet? Exactly. Like, there's been patches and stickers and and probably body soap at this point of shit, of that fucking basket, (laughs) of that basket over Nicolas Cage's head where he's going, no, the bees, not the bees. Not the bees. And, but it's iconic at the same time. It's one of those movies I feel like I've seen multiple times. It's always bad, but I always kind of enjoy it. 
Right, I, I enjoy it too. It is a guilty pleasure movie for sure, and and I I, I want to say uh, Ellen Burstyn, I want to say mm-hmm. is the uh, is in it as well with him and Lily Sobieski. Like it's a weird cast. It like, definitely those are, is. Those are those are actors that I would not have thought would be in a movie together. Uh, you know, the interesting choice to recast Sir Christopher Lee's role with Ellen Burstyn. He was very skeptical of it and with good reason, but yeah, it, it just it. There, it had potential. I mean, The Wicker Man is one of those stories that I feel like is timeless, is ageless, and I think that's a quality of folk horror because, mm-hmm. as we were talking about, a lot of a big theme of it is you're out there in the wilderness on your own, and you know we talked about it last week with found footage with movies like The Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. and yeah, you do you find yourself on your own, and but that you can always find that that will always be there, the possibility that you could end up stranded in the middle of nowhere. And you are subject to some local freaky shit that is right. going on in that area, in those woods. Yeah, I mean, that is something that could happen to anybody at any time. Yeah, and I think that's kind of one of those things that makes folk horror probably one of my favorite genres. Is because I tend to really enjoy the scary movies that feel realistic. Like we've talked about uh, The Strangers before. And I feel like some of these movies are, you know, you look at Midsummer, you look at the uh, Wicker Man, and they both have a lot of these um, old world Norse pagan uh, Celtic kind of influence as far as like the religious aspect, if I even want to use that word. But it's it's really grounded in reality for me. And that kind of makes it really scary. Like you could just be like, oh, yeah, I'll go to a midsummer festival and then end up dying and being like buried half underground or flayed open or put in a fucking bear. Yeah. Um, I, but that's what, but that's what with I'm the saying, Wicker Man, yeah. that's the same thing is, you know, at the end of the movie, the iconic thing where they put him in this giant uh totem kind of a thing and light it on fire and he burns alive i mean it's that's fucking, fucking scary man, yeah you know? it is <laughs> <laughs> burning man gone wild is just the wicker man <laughs> now the next one i really i'm fucking excited about this i've seen a lot of people caught got to interact with a stupid little video that i posted on tiktok the other day but there's a movie that came out a couple years ago uh it's directed by david bruckner called the ritual the ritual is a fucking tough movie to watch it's got a lot of hard it's got a lot of hard stuff in it, it uh, does. i mean it literally starts off with a guy and his best friend ending up caught in a robbery at a convenience store i don't think it starts that way it starts with like you know one of the guys died and they all get together to go on like a hike it kind of feels a little descenty like hey let's go out in the woods right for it is, therapy. it's like the descent but with dudes but with dudes <laughs> uh and but midway through there's the weird scene in the woods where it shows us why they're out there and how this one guy died and why one guy seems to be like a little bit more yeah. guilty feeling than the other is as you were saying, basically there's a, a robbery in a convenience store and their friend gets killed and it's he blames himself for this. Right. And forgive me, I meant to say that that's the story. It's yeah, not, that's sorry, not no. the beginning of the movie, but it is the start of the story. Like it starts with his guilt. Yes. And then yeah. he and his friends are then in the wild to mm-hmm. kind of honor their friend's memory. But as they're now, you know, left to their own devices in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the woods... Uh, not knowing where they are, not knowing what to do, they the uh, not only are they disoriented, but then weird shit starts happening happening to them to make the disoriented feeling worse. Yeah, exactly. It, it's one of those that starts with little like creaks or kind of movements in the woods, and then there's runes on the trees, 
and then they find a place that they can sleep in, but it's like a weird old abandoned house with weird shit in it, and they all have crazy dreams. I think but... that's my favorite part of the movie is when they wake up in the cabin so and all weird shit has happened to all of them. Like the one guy wakes up and he's like, I pissed myself. And they're like, what? Right. Yeah, like, he's like super embarrassed about it, but then yeah. like another guy's actually kind of hurt, and the other guy like woke up like naked outside yeah, or some weird missing. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah one guy is missing. Right. And, it's, it's fucked and up. It's, just... it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole fucking it's... movie because it's like, it's sets the tone that nothing from here is going to be good or rational or sane. You just prepare for a fucked up ride. Right. But they also, in that moment, kind of gaslight themselves into thinking nothing happened. They're like, you guys just had bad nightmares. Right. And like, they all fine. just like, like kind of try to collectively go, we're not going to fucking acknowledge that. And like, keep going. And like, it gets worse and worse and worse. Ultimately, then it becomes a fucking creature feature at the end when Hell we see yeah. this giant fucking i don't even know what to call it it's got so, antlers it's got a fucking mouth that makes you look like there's a person it's just <laughs> it's it's fucking wild yeah man. it's 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 got a really weird face and like there's arms hanging upside down and i don't know exactly how to pronounce it but it's j-o-t-u-n-n so like jotun i'm not sure exactly jotun, jotun. yeah um but it is actually a creature that's based off of i was looking at this earlier based off of a real like uh, Norse mythology god so it's really cool because I did for the longest time there are probably a couple years now uh, that I've watched that and I'm like that's just my favorite creature but seeing that it's something that yet again is based off of this old religion is so fucking cool and I, I feel like I'm explaining folk more as we talk about these because the last few movies have a lot of religious influences in right. them. Right. Well, folklore, I mean, obviously, yeah. is, is a, plays a big role in folk horror uh, by your definition, not necessarily mm-hmm. by mine, but yeah, <laughs> by, 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 by your definition. The, the folklore is as important as uh, an element to the story and to the, to the atmosphere of the film mm-hmm. as the actual physical location is. Yeah. So... You know, as we've talked about with some of these, the Vavitch, you know, the legends of witches in the new, especially in New England, when, you know, around the time of all this uh, Salem witch trials, you mm-hmm. know, witch hunting and shit like that. Wicker man with a cult, literally, that burns an effigy of a man with a man inside of it. Yeah. Uh, the ritual, this this beast, this creature that is inspired by actual you know, Norse mythology. So, I mean, right. it's all and there. It, it's, all, it's all there. And it's, you know, for the ritual towards the end where they they actually find people, it's basically these people know that this creature is out there. They worship it. Right. It, it's it's, their it's deity. a deity almost. So, yes. you know, they do. They give sacrifices to it. There's some pretty gruesome scenes in that movie. One of my favorites is probably the impalement scene where the guy gets like pushed into the tree because this forest mind you is not just like oh pretty normal like happy like north america trees like in the middle of fucking indiana they're like these those tall with lots of little branches it almost looks like you're walking through thorns and so even the forest setting for that movie is so fucking cool yeah, because it shows it, that part of the danger is from the forest and the woods itself. Right. It's not just this this creature or whatever or the weird shit that's happening to them. It's just just being out there is, yeah, is treacherous. Yeah, because there's like the guy that just like you know he falls and like hurts his leg. It's like that can just fucking happen to you. There's nothing you know supernatural about that. No. And you know it it weighs heavy on the group as this guy has to keep stopping and they try to keep going. You know all these things, um, but it's. Again, it's. I think probably it's very high on my list. I feel like it's very underrated. I love it whenever I see people talk about it. I feel like 
because it's been out what maybe four or five years Probably I think, about five years now yeah i think it came out 2017 and i feel originally. like it uh it's grown a bit more of its following and i hope that there's people that listen to this who've never watched it and decide to go on netflix and watch it which i think is still on there um streaming i believe it's a netflix original so it's it's worth the watch, and it's really cool folklore with a really good story. And we didn't spoil everything, so just no, go no. Watch it. it's, 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 <laughs> there's a few things we spoil, but not everything. And uh, but it makes sense to me why, like David Bruckner, you mentioned directed it, and uh-huh. uh, it makes sense why he would have been selected then to do what we just saw with Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. Like Hellraiser this year is probably one of my favorite horror films to come out here in 2022. So, so I don't mean to keep bringing it up here on the show, <laughs> but I absolutely loved it. David Bruckner deserves so much praise, not only for Hellraiser, but for the ritual. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is his design, his creature design. He oh, thinks yeah. outside the box. Mm-hmm. You know, as uh, in our notes here, I have it that he directed the Amateur Night segment from VHS that introduced yeah. us to the Succubus, played by Hannah Fearman. And, uh, you know, we talked about it with our found footage last week. Yeah, because it's like the first short in the first VHS movie. Absolutely. But it's it shows that David Bruckner, I mean, between his design of the succubus, between his design of the creature and the ritual, uh, Jotun, and then Hellraiser, I mean, he is, I think with those three alone, he has solidified himself as a master of visual effects. Yeah. And he's definitely somebody that his, his name is gaining that kind of reputation. Or if I see his name attached to something... I am going to be in favor of it. I'll be first in line to fucking watch it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's. I'm sure he has really amazing teams that he works with on these movies. But, you know, a lot of that does come down to them going, yeah, I like this design. Because I've seen, you know, multiple concept artists that I follow where it's really cool to see what their idea was, even if it didn't get into the movie. But I feel like picking that one and going with that one is just, like, the best choice. Like, whoever designed that... And he greenlit it like fuck yes because yeah. it's my favorite like creature, but yeah his his name I mean probably ever since I saw the ritual, you know anything with his name kind of piqued my interest because right. I thought that was such a good fresh movie for the time that it came out. It was a breath of fresh air. I agree. It was uh, yeah. unlike anything else we were seeing at the time. Because mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I like yeah. I mean I like slow burns of course, and uh, I feel it like is, that it's very much a slow. It burn. is a slow burn, which I feel like a lot of folk horror is. But there was just something so so different about it when I saw it. And probably, I mean, the monster, the creature really just sells it for me. Because I could, it's kind of like the, the Deborah Logan scene you were talking about where everybody knows it, but they didn't know what movie it was from. Yeah. I feel like the scene in the ritual where the creature bends down in the doorway and it's like dangly arms that look like human hands, like grab the doorway and it like leans in and peeks through into the cabin sold immediately i only needed 10 seconds of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it was up at the top of my list from there yeah you don't see the creature very long uh in no the, in the very film. It minimal has, it has screen very time. minimal screen time but at the same time it makes such an impact on you that you don't have to see it that long it, it right it delivers everything it needs to in those few minutes that it's on screen if it's even a minute yeah yeah i mean yeah, it's, it's there's very, very little. I feel like it, it, it's probably two minutes. Blink top. and you'll miss it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's very quick. But yeah. it's it's a fucking fantastic movie. I one love of, it. Yeah. One of the best in full core that we've received recently. Uh, the next movie we want to talk about is another recent favorite of ours. Uh, we talked about Paranormal Activity last week with found footage, but this mm-hmm. is Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. We kind of touched upon it briefly last week, yeah. but this is where Paranormal Activity, the series, the franchise, decided to give it a new twist and make it folk horror. Mm-hmm. So our 
crew now finds themselves out in the middle of nowhere at this Amish kind of uh, gr- these grounds, this Amish community uh, where the main character's mother came from, and she's trying to retrace her roots and her trying to find her family. And she reaches out, she finds a relative, right? And, and of course, they're doing like a whole documentary right. for it. So that's right. how you're like, here's your found footage, right? It's a documentary because basically she took a fucking twenty three and me, and she's like, <laughs> oh, I'm Amish, and yeah. <laughs> now we that's our setup for the fucking movie. And she right. and her crew, her camera crew that is documenting all of this with her are out there, middle of nowhere, at the mercy of this Amish community, with obviously with it being an Amish community, very few resources at their disposal other very than what they brought so. with them. I mean, probably the scariest thing in this movie is whenever she's kind of like doing some touring and doing like, I guess, B-roll footage type shit, and they're in a barn, and she almost like missteps, and like one of the guys grabs her, and because she's like up in the loft part of the barn and you like look down there's this giant machine that clearly like just eviscerates things and it's like that's kind of like the check off wood chip check off right. wood chipper is what right. i would call it because you see it and you're like oh well exactly hey, we're gonna see that come into play later bingo and i'm pretty sure you do but uh yeah it's it's like just the setting made me more uncomfortable i think than anything in the movie right and the amish community that they're in the people obviously they're she finds out they are legitimately her family and she's but they're also legitimately not amish they're like a fucking cult yeah it's 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 not yeah it's not amish it's not mennonites like you find out it's a cult like i love this scene i was i've been thinking about this since we started talking about next of kin i think my favorite scene is where the guy ends up in the car with the um uh Postal, Postal service. Yeah. 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 The the mailman. I don't know why I couldn't think of the word mailman all of a sudden. <laughs> but yeah. So he's in the truck with the mailman and they're driving back to civilization so that they mm-hmm. can reach out to people, make a call. And you find out from the mailman, he's like, yeah, they're not Amish. Right. They're, it's a fucking cult. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit. You like it. it you're like, it's just mind blowing. Like when, you, when you find all this out because these people have been staying in the care uh, of of what they thought was a you know Amish community family that they right. had, and it turns out they're a cult. Yeah, and they're sacrificing people to an entity to keep it at bay. Which the thing that I really fucking love about this movie, which I think is why it's so highly rated for me, is the whole time we're watching this, I think, how is this related to the other movies? So far, there's been nothing. It hasn't given me anything. Right, it felt like a complete total reboot. Yeah, it just felt like they were like, well, we're an anthology kind of movie series now, so here's something completely different. But the names that they use for the entities in the movie, when you look them up, you come back to Toby. Yeah, it's all a reference to Toby. Yes, because it's the you have this... Um, antagonist, protagonist, kind of fighting energy, demon shit. And biblically, the names... Osmodius. Osmodius. Is, is, the, is the big one that they keep using. Os- yeah. Os- Osmodius, Osmodeus. Yeah. Um, are the ones that they keep using prominently throughout the movie to describe the demon, the antagonist, uh, that they are coming closer and closer into contact with this whole time. But, of course, the uh, Osmodeus or Osmodius, however you want to pronounce it, mm-hmm. uh, the reason uh, he adopted the name Toby is because Toby, uh, in the folklore of it all, was an enemy of Osmodeus. He opposed mm-hmm. him. So when Osmodeus or uh, Osmodius uh, defeated Toby and bested him, he 
fucking took his name. Like, it's, that's yeah. a boss-ass move, and that is then the Toby that we are then introduced to in Paranormal Activity 1 through 6. Yes, so you basically find out that this demon that they've had, uh, you know, you see it, there's, like, murals and shit in this weird old church that they're not allowed to go into, but it's because the there's, like, a basic fucking hole in the ground that goes down to this entity that's they're keeping at bay which is so fucking weird but yeah, where, where have i seen that before it's uh somebody who's uh, down in a hole and a well and uh the only thing that's missing is the fucking lotion you know exactly like, like, put the lotion on the skin it does just this whatever it's told buffalo bill just care taking a demon down oh, i got fucking well. buffalo bill vibes the whole time they were in that every time once <laughs> i found out it was a well i'm like god Damn it. Yeah, but it's, like, also a well that they needed, like, full fucking, like, spelunking gear to it go down. It was a little bit more intense than Buffalo Bills. But, yeah, you find out that this this demon is basically the nickname of the name extension is Toby. And so it's, you think back to the original movies where they, they get that name and the little kids are like, oh, it's Toby. Toby. And you're it's like, Toby. fucking weird. So it is all connected uh, but you actually it's the same demon that don't throughout the quite whole movie. understand it unless you kind of read into it a little bit. Because I, I didn't. I, I watched it the first time and I still was fucking clueless until I started reading about the demon and the name. Yeah, once you, it is one of those that uh, benefits from some research being done. Uh, next one we're going to talk about in our exploration of the folk horror genre. Uh, another recent favorite of ours, Gretel and Hansel. Yes, and I know you're excited to talk about this one for one reason, mainly being the director. Yeah, I love, uh, directed by Oz Perkins, who also directed The Black Coat's Daughter, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in This House, Mm -hmm. some uh, terrific uh, fucked up horror movies that will bend your mind. Gretel and Hansel is no different, but Oz Perkins, uh, if you don't know that name, he is also the son of Anthony Perkins, who played Norman Bates, the original Norman Bates, and my favorite film of all time, my number one, Psycho. So Oz Perkins has a pedigree that, uh, I mean, you can't beat it. I mean, when you're the son no. of the biggest legend in horror, uh, yeah, you better be bringing your A game, and he does. Gretel and Hansel is terrific, full core. But one thing I love about Oz Perkins, and I can't say this enough, is just how simple, how simple his films are. Yeah. They're not complicated. They're not over the top. They just play on themes that we can all relate to i mean yeah. that, and with gretel and hansel i mean it literally starts off she's she and her brother her family's too poor mm-hmm. so her mom literally just says i can't fucking support you so you got to go be on your own now even though you're children right literally. this isn't your your typical let's take the grimm's tales and make it cute oh it's a candy cottage yay and it's like everything's just happy go lucky no fucking candy cottages you know, here bro. kids are just like on a hike in the woods or whatever like no like these it's fucking literally grim, grim start to the movie. It's it's terrific. I love how I love how in your face it is sad and depressing. It's like because like I said, you you get that they her, their mom literally just fucking cast them out. Like she's yeah. like, I can't support you, so fucking leave. Yep. Uh, and it's very it's that cold. Like she just cast them out because she can't support them. Then they try to find uh you know a safe haven somewhere, and the person they find fucking haven with is a piece of shit and chases them out and they're like fucking scared for their lives and they go and they find this nice little 
you know, cabin cottage in the woods that happens to look freaky as Absolute fucking hell. Absolute fucking house goals, by the way. <laughs> Me and my niece always talk about this house because it's just, it's perfection. It's like got this whimsical weird curve and the spooky pointed roof and then it's all black and the windows are stunning. This house is absolute. If I was a, stu- a fucking little kid in the woods, I saw this shit. I'm running for it. It's fucking awesome. And they do. And I like the story with Gretel and Hansel. They find the house. In there, they meet a witch. They don't know she's a witch, obviously, but they meet a witch. She invites them in. She wants to fucking eat them. <laughs> but uh, and she does the whole thing of fattening them up, and she feeds them every day, and she's... You know, doting on them and spoiling them. But she's creepy as fuck because yeah. she's got these black fingers, which is already a dead giveaway that she's a fucking witch. Because mm-hmm. when have you ever met somebody with black fingers and they're not a witch? Right. Uh, you know, 100% it's, of the time it works every cool. time. I want my fingers to look like that every day. Well, yeah. And, and she's uh, she's got these creepy eyes. You know, she's just she's overwhelmingly not a pleasant person to be around just physically looking at her Mm -hmm. and then you know she starts talking and then she gives you the willies too yeah yeah she's i i can't think of the actress's name but i absolutely fucking adore her no one else could have been this role in my opinion right the name is escaping me as well but she's the same actress who played uh sleepwalkers uh stephen king uh stephen king sleepwalkers directed by mick garris so great you know, movie there. She was the uh, main antagonist in Silent Hill back in 2006. Hell she's yeah. just, she's got a reputation for, uh, for playing some, uh, just some awful fucking ladies. I'm probably going to mispronounce this because the last name is K R I G E. It's uh, Alice Craig. Al- Alice Krieg? Krieg I wanna, maybe? Alice Krieg. I want to say, we'll yeah, say Alice she, Krieg. I was going to say, I, I could only remember the witch's name, which was Holda, but <laughs> I couldn't think of her name until I pulled it up. But yeah, she's a really cool witch. They give her this, nice little backstory where you uh kind of see some of her past and her relationship with her daughter um but you also get uh Sophia Lillis's character as Gretel kind of almost like working with her to try to gain like witch abilities basically right and one thing I find very interesting about this the way Sophia Lillis plays it maybe because it's it's like I said with Oz Perkins it's simple the way he does this but so much of his film is left up to what I always call, I always refer back to Hemingway's iceberg theory, whereas Mm -hmm. you see what's going on on the surface, but that is like 5% of the story. And there's 95% is completely underneath the surface and left for your interpretation and your imagination. Mm -hmm. And with Sophia Lillis, the way she plays this, it's almost like, I feel like she plays the character more timid and more afraid when you know when they first meet her, mm-hmm. but then the more she finds out about her, and the, when she learns that she is a witch and she's not great and she's kind of evil and shit, yeah, it's almost like Sophia Lillis, war- her character of Gretel, warms up to her. Yeah, and I'm like, I, like that was the one thing when I left the theater that I had the hardest time wrapping my head around. But it's such a great detail. It is because one of the things that I really like whenever you know shit goes south and obviously they have you know the witch wants to like eat Hansel and they have to fight so there's a really cool scene though where uh Gretel basically uses some of the things that she's learned from Holda to beat her like she uses a flying ointment like that's a a huge thing with witches and obviously we don't use 
a flying ointment and hop on a broomstick and fly around. Like, I fucking wish it worked like that. I'd save a lot of gas money. Um, but it's, it's cool that she learns something in the movie from her and you feel like she's trying to almost groom her into also being a little evil witch child. But she's like, fuck you. You wanted to eat my brother. I'm going to be a cool witch and kick your ass. Yeah, I'm still going to be a cool witch, but also fuck you. It's like, I, I love that ending where she's so just resolute in her beliefs and her stance on the fact that you try to kill my brother. Of course, I'm not going to be, we're not cool. Yeah. You know, and then she, you know, the last scene is her in the woods and her fingers start to go black. And yeah. you're like, this is fucking tremendous. Right. Like, she becomes the it. new witch of the woods, basically. From start to finish, Gretel and Hansel is visually one of the most beautiful movies I've ever Absolutely. seen. Absolutely. One of the most well acted movies I've ever seen. It is damn near perfect. And, and, and I, I, you know, I know we, I know we like a lot of movies. We're very <laughs> friendly to a lot of movies, but, and we heap a lot of praise on a lot of movies, but. Man, Gretel and Hansel, like I just recommend everybody see it and judge for yourself. It's it's a slow burn. It's it's not very like action packed. It does very much uh, rely on the performance of the actors mm-hmm. and the the con- the conversation and also the nonverbal communication. There's so much that's not said. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's an iceberg movie because there's stuff going on on the surface, but really. The, the true story, the meat of it is just underneath the surface and you are left to wonder and, and imagine what the fuck is going on. And by the time yeah. you know what's going on, movie's done. Right. It's, <laughs> as you're talking, no pun intended with this movie, but it's one that you have to kind of digest a little bit. And then <laughs> right, like right. <laughs> the more you think about it, you're like, you're like, oh, okay. Like she was feeding them dead children right um in the beginning of the movie so you kind of have to to think about that and process that and then kind of play it over again in your mind and think of those little scenes to kind of piece it together and to me i feel like it's a movie that deserves a second watch because oh, it almost it necessitates a second watch yeah for sure. because then you start you do notice those things back at the beginning of the movie that you didn't realize the first time through it definitely builds the more you watch it but i i just remember sitting in the theater uh when this came out which i think was one of the last movies maybe we even saw before uh, everything shut down one of the last few movies before the pandemic yes absolutely um and we sat there and we were both just in awe because the the sound is beautiful the visuals are beautiful there's just scenes where they're walking through the woods and it just feels like you're right there yeah and everything's just so pretty Um, But they do, you know, he does a great way at, you know, making you feel that weird, eerie darkness in certain scenes. He's he's one of those directors, Oz Perkins, where you feel his film. Like, like it's 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 totally encompassing. It's the like I said, it's the acting. You mentioned the sound. It's it it is like because they're in the woods. You hear the leaves crunching, the twigs snapping. Right. You get all of that. And that's exactly how Black Coat's Daughter is. That's what I was just getting ready to say. Black Coat's Daughter is the exact same way because you feel everything in that movie, the atmosphere, because it takes place in the winter and it's mm-hmm. very snowy and shit. You you hear the crunching of the snow, you the clicking of people's shoes against the pavement, car yeah. door slamming. Oz Perkins makes you feel every single detail of his films. And I think that's why, you know, of course I'm biased because I love Psycho and Anthony <laughs> right. Perkins and Norman Bates, but I truly believe he as a as a director, if he were not related to Anthony Perkins whatsoever, he would still be one of my favorite directors because of his style yeah so 100 yeah, percent. yeah gretel and hansel terrific we're gonna move on to another director 
that has doesn't have a lot of movies under his belt, but he's fucked everybody up with the two <laughs> movies he has released. We're talking about Midsummer, uh, directed by Ari Aster, who also directed Head- Hereditary, which we talked about not too long ago. Yeah, and I love Midsummer. Again, I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, talking about the uh, realistic settings that you get with some of these folk horror movies. I mean, basically all of them that we've talked about at this point, but. I love that Ari Aster made this movie bright white sunlight after Hereditary was like gloomy and a lot of like nighttime scenes and kind of played off of like it was a dark movie like like visually you know, fireplace it was a dark lighting movie. and things like that and I remember seeing the trailer for this you know immediately going what the fuck am I about to witness but also thinking it was so cool because there's not a lot of horror movies that are just take place in this bright setting like they do with this beautiful countryside of Sweden that they do in Midsummer. He makes great use of the of the setting for sure. Uh, one thing I love uh, that I'm sure people have seen in videos online is that he would also incorporate uh, details of like uh, Danny's family members' faces. Like her sister's face oh can be God. seen in one of the trees <laughs> during a scene where she's walking yeah. through the uh, through the, the, the commune there. Yeah. It, it's it's so funny to me what Ari Aster can do visually with his films to make you feel things. It's- and I want to know where that comes in. Like when you're, you're working on the movie, cause obviously, you know, it's an edit. Uh, you can't make the trees out in the countryside look like dead people. But- if he can, he's a better director than I even <laughs> fucking thought he was. I think he's pretty damn good. Right. But it's like, I would, I just wonder where in the, the process of your filmmaking, do you, do you think, you know what this scene needs? Make those trees have shadows to look like her dead sister with the, like respirator thing duct taped to her face. That is the most fucked up thing. And I remember the first time I saw that image on some bullshit thing that popped up. It's like ten things you didn't notice when you watched Midsummer, and it, like that's the one image that they give you. And I just saw it, and I was like, "What the fuck? Yeah. It's so fucked up." But it it's Ari Aster, and it I, just feels like it's perfect. I and and I I may be in the minority when I say this, but I think I like Midsummer better than I like Hereditary. I think Midsummer fucked me up. Like Hereditary fucked me up, but Midsummer <laughs> was like scene after scene after scene. Like literally the opening of the movie is her sobbing unfucking controlled yeah. because she just lost her mom, her dad and her sister. Right. And in a murder suicide, a murder suicide. It's so fucked up. And then from there it's like, She's got this shitty relationship with her fucking boyfriend, and it's yeah. just tense every time they fucking are in the same Everything's vicinity so of each other. Everything's so uncomfortable. You get about the fucking this. annoying couple at the goddamn commune. I fucking hated those two. Yeah, they were like two of the best annoying fucking characters. I would put them up there with the goddamn kid <laughs> from Babadook. They're just because they were all meant to be annoying, but they did such yeah. a good job. I fucking hated them. They were the the realistic style of characters that you get where they feel like you know immediately and he did this with hereditary obviously but you feel like these people are so fucking real like the dinner table scene in hereditary felt absolutely real i was at that fucking dinner table and there's the scene in the living room when she like comes over to her boyfriend's house all the friends are there and they're talking about this trip to sweden that they don't want her to go on but he's like i want to break up with her i don't want her to go but i also don't want her to like fucking kill herself because i broke up with her and she's super depressed and it's like this weird awkward conversation that takes place where you only see danny in like the mirror 
of the living room, I feel like I'm in that living room. Mm-hmm. He puts me in his movies, no matter what scene it is. And that I'm, is a great point. That is, <laughs> that, is a, that is a terrific observation of what he does. You're right. You, yeah. you, he makes you experience it. Like I was talking about with Oz Perkins, like you feel everything in the movie. With Ari Aster, you're in the movie. Like yeah. you do. He, the way he films the dinner table scene in Hereditary, you feel like, you legitimately feel like you're at that table. It's almost like and a it, POV without like the movement right, of the, the camera. The perspective. You almost feel like, as fucked up as this sounds, if you were fucking Charlie sitting there, what right. she would be watching. Right. It's a very cool way to look at the movie. Midsummer is the same way. You almost feel like you're a member of the friend group. You know, yeah. you, the, the, Ari Aster has this way of filming that is almost as close to first person mm-hmm. as any director I've ever seen. And, and it's tremendous what he does with Midsummer. Like I said, you always feel like a fly on the wall. Right. I was going to say, so it's like, I was just thinking you either feel like you're you're part of the scene or you're like feeling what they're feeling or you're experiencing what they're experiencing cuz even in midsummer there's the scene where they do like shrooms I think and <laughs> right, she's yeah. like looking down at the grass and like the grass like grows off of her hand or some shit you're like watching it and you're like whoa that's fucking wild right it, but there's also scenes yeah. like at the the giant long table that they set out in the field to eat and you feel like you're at that table with the way he like films up on the table like he's not on one side or the other a lot of the time there's shots where it's just straight down the middle and it just feels weird to me but again it's it's so immersive and and the shocks in midsummer are uh, very unexpected, the same way <laughs> with Hereditary. Well, and I think that first-person perspective that he he tries to give the audience is what makes his scenes land differently than other horror directors because it's not like yeah. he's doing anything really that reinvents the wheel. But the way he does it, mm-hmm. you feel... Uh, we I use the term voyeurism a lot with found footage, but mm-hmm. his, is, his is voyeuristic in a different sense. Like I said, you feel like you're there. You feel like you're watching. You feel like you're part of it. You don't feel like you're a voyeur, but you do feel like you are just a member of the audience. Like when the... I mean, we, I, we've seen people get their heads smashed before on fucking movies and TV. Right. But we've, the way it's shot... But we like haven't seen like the guy jump, there. and then he kind of splats, and you're like, oh, is this happening? But then they show, like, the close-up. Right. And you're like, oh. And it's like, he does. He shoots it in a way that you never think you would see. I mean, he does exactly the same thing in Hereditary yeah. with the, the scene with Charlie where... He's driving, her head gets decapitated, he stops, he's sitting there, doesn't show the back seat, just shows him the whole drive home, him getting to bed, and Almost then it like, like shifts, dash shifts to morning, and you hear the mom screaming, and then only then does it show Charlie's head on the side of the road, and you don't think that they're going to show it because of how far the scene's gone, and then it's there, and that's how it is with that fucking hammer scene in Midsummer. It's like you just don't know what's going to happen next, and all of a sudden the dude's got a giant fucking Harlequin mallet walking up to this guy to like finish putting him out of his misery. Right. It's so disturbing and uncomfortable on so many levels. I think what really put it over for me though, because I'll be honest, like I remember watching Midsummer. I'm like, yeah, this is really on pace with hereditary, but I think what did it for me with Midsummer really put it over the edge for me was the fucking, uh, the fucking scene. It was, it was the, the scene where, you know, the, the ladies of the cult are getting Danny's boyfriend and, making him fuck this girl and uh danny see they let danny find it and see it and they have that crying scene that fucking so this the scene goes from like this pure elation because she's it's the may festival she's Mm -hmm. the you know she's having fun to fucking 
she sees her boyfriend fucking the girl cheating to on intense her. Crying. Yeah. It's just the just this Ari Aster made you feel a range of ten different emotions within probably a fifteen minute scene. Yeah. It is and maybe even less than that. It just it feels like it goes on forever, but it's it such does. a small fragment of the movie. It's so good though. It's so fucking good. Like Midsummer, like I said, I I, I like it it's better. It's really my good. I don't I I don't think I could at this <laughs> moment. I I would have to sit and write down all my pros and cons and like weigh them to really decide which one's my favorite. But I think because they both kind of have you know the witchcrafty type shit. They do, yeah. Uh, you know you have the very obvious, uh, you know like the payment symbols everywhere in the symbol, you know in hereditary. Whereas this, you have this kind of, again, pagan More of a cult, yeah. Uh, cult, even though we talked about this before, where it's it's weird because, like, I celebrate Midsummer, but I don't, like, I'm not in a cult. <laughs> and it's it's really cool to see something that's, again, based in reality, that this is a an actual celebration. People do dance around maypoles, uh, but <laughs> if you're hanging out with these people, you're hanging out with the wrong people. And the thing that I love most about this movie is that it convinces you that it's one of the you go girl movies, but it's it's not. Like it's no. still really miserable. Everyone's like, yeah, burn your boyfriend, fuck him. And it's like, no, she just She's joined in a, cult a cult now. now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, is that really a better situation? Like you're in a cult. Like yeah. fuck, you know, I don't I don't yeah, nobody wants to be stuck but in a it, shitty relationship, but nobody wants to be in a cult either. But it makes you go, you go, Danny. Because it's like she just lost her whole family. And then she's losing her friends. Her boyfriend, who she thinks, you know, they're probably end game, is probably what she thinks, uh, is cheating on her to getting rid of him and being celebrated as May Queen. And it's like she's lost everything and gained anything. Or, I'm sorry, lost everything and gained everything within a moment. Like when she smiles at the end of the movie. It's like she's, she she's has made everything there. She's gained everything. But, but she it's hasn't still gained. really fucking depressing. Like she's just in a cult now and she still has no family and no friends and no boyfriend. Right. She goes from one abusive relationship to another, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to travel back in time on this next movie. We're going to talk Apostle. Now, Apostle is one I don't get, I, I don't see talked about a lot in, in a lot enough. of the horror circles online but it's a it's a really fucking good movie it's, it's a delight uh it, it's directed by gareth evans if you know that name he directed the raid movies which who doesn't fucking love the Fuck raid yeah. movies uh it was one of the directors on safe haven from vhs2 one of the segments we actually didn't talk about last week right but it is intense it's where there's a cult <laughs> and it involves cults. Uh, creature feature, ritual suicide, all that good shit. Which you know. he does in Apostle. Right, and we <laughs> see more of that in Apostle. And Apostle we love because it stars a couple of our favorite actors, namely uh, Dan Stevens. Yes, I love that man. <laughs> Dan Stevens is a fucking dreamboat. And yeah. if you don't believe me, just Google Dan Stevens. He's so much of a dreamboat that he was he played the fucking beast in Beauty and the Beast. I mean, like, right. like literally. When you, he was literally a fucking Disney prince. That's how handsome and beautiful this man is. Yeah. And uh, he brings that to Apostle. Uh, but also in Apostle, you get this tremendous story uh, of... Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fucked up religious undertones that uh, yet again religious cult shit like warping the church almost right. a little bit. Uh, there's a weird the the scene that 
I was just like, oh, yeah, this movie's going to be fucking awesome, was, like, people are, like, setting little blood offerings outside of their door at yep. night, and you're like, what are they doing that for? Right. And, you know, you start to realize that there's creatures involved, and they're, like, feeding the land kind of a thing. It's really... I, I don't want to completely spoil it, but there's basically this weird like deity that's become part of the earth and that's what they're feeding it like goes into the ground yeah and that's that's they worship it uh they they satiate it and it takes care of them and and Mm -hmm. the 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 town and these these this little small village and uh i think uh, my favorite scene in the whole fucking movie is there's literally in the middle of the town they will take they take somebody Chain them up, chain them down, however you want to say it. It's their justice system. It's their justice system. It's how people pay for their crimes. And literally, they take a fucking melon baller, giant melon baller, into a fucking guy's skull and, like, literally just fucking... Rotates it. Rotates it. And they, like, drill through his fucking cranium to where his head is just pulverized and his brains are all over the place. Yeah. It's fucking it's... disgusting in the best way possible. It's and I I almost said a circular saw, but that's not exactly what I mean. It's literally like the saw attachments that you see on like power drills now to cut holes in things, and there's different widths. And well, this thing's like some shit. this thing's like probably six or seven inches in diameter, and it just points at the top of their cranium. But you have this guy on the you know with this cranking machine and you hear it cranking towards the head you hear the torque and i think they're asking him questions or some shit or whatever it's some weird public execution shit but it's it's just the part where it's right up to his head and you can see that it's getting ready to pierce the skin and the way the guy the actor is that's doing the cranking on this machine the way he like looks and then he just shoves it down is so fucking terrifying. It's and then fucking you just, merciless. And then you just hear the screaming because of course it, it's gonna take a minute to get to your brain. It's just you, on a crank. You ain't gonna die right away. Oh, it's so fucked up. It is one of it's, the most gruesome deaths I've seen in any fucking horror movie, and yes. I absolutely adore it. And I love it. it this and movie, they show a lot of oh, it. They show a good deal, but I mean it's Gareth Evans. That's why yeah. I brought up that it's Gareth Evans <laughs> in the beginning because. If you understand what he brings to the table as a director, you're going to be like, I'm in for a fucked up ride. And you right. really are with this movie. It is surrealism at its best. I, I, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's still on Netflix. Yeah, so I, I recommend think so. I recommend checking it out if you can. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hit a few more here before we wrap up. These are going to be a little bit more rapid fire. Uh, Antlers. I don't really have much to say right. about Antlers. I'm not gonna lie. I, I, it was. I, I was enjoy really it. excited. This was one of those movies that got uh, pandemic delayed to hell. Uh, I think I remember Seems seeing like a trailer for it. Now. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of people really like it, and I, I'm sure if a second watch, I'd probably enjoy it a little bit more. But um, it, it was good. It includes your folklore and your creepy shit and. You're good creatures, so it's it's a solid movie. I just I don't know. There was something I felt like was really missing from this movie. It just didn't give me that complete oomph that I wanted. No, to but me, it's not a bad movie by any means. I, to me, it's the definition of mediocre. Like it's just there's nothing 
inherently bad about it to where he'd be like, oh, I fucking hated it. Right. But there's nothing remarkable about it, which in the end makes me feel like I hate it for being so fucking mediocre <laughs> because it was a good idea and I thought it had potential. Yeah. I mean, you got great actors. Jesse Plemons is a fucking heavyweight. I love that guy. Right. I, I really thought... I wanted, Story's great. Yeah. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of... Um, you know, backstory with the characters. You actually feel some connection to them when you're watching it, but you I don't almost know. I feel don't. Like they tried way too hard. But you almost don't care at the same no, time. No, you don't give a shit. Um, it's it's weird because again, like you said, with the the actors, I feel like I was involved. Like I'm I'm intrigued. I want to yeah. know more. Yeah. Uh, especially with the little kid. The little kid in the movie is fucking great. I, I give him credit. The little kid really brought his A game as far as an actor and his performance. It was one of the highlights of the film, but everything else right. was just flat yeah i don't know i just felt like it needed something to me there, meanwhile the next one which is one of our favorite fucking movies i've never seen all the shitty sequels but in this house especially living in indiana we stand the fuck out of children of the corn children of the corn uh started out of course it's uh, stephen king wrote it yep uh and then it was adapted into this great 80s horror movie <laughs> <laughs> that is just fucking bonkers, man. Like, I I remember watching this when I was younger and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, it's a weird movie. And then I watched it as an adult and I'm like, this is a fucking weird movie. And I absolutely and I love it. I dig everything about it. <laughs> like, from the fucking beginning of the scene where they're killing all the parents and fucking I Isaac is just scene. standing outside the bakery, like, yup. <laughs> I love this scene so much. Okay, it was literally just on. They play it on Pluto TV a they lot. They play it on right Pluto now. a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's I think it's actually on, on right now as we're recording this. <laughs> as you're listening, it's probably on right now. Go turn on Pluto. Go fucking I bet turn on Pluto. You'll probably find on. Children of the Corn. Uh, but I had it on because you know we we tend to pull up Pluto, see what movies are on, and if there's something we like, we just have it on for background noise. It usually is movies we've seen before and children in the corn, as I've said, has been on loop a lot on one of these stations and I'm laying in bed, just kind of, you know, dicking around on my phone and I look up and it was coming on and it's that scene. I love it so much. Cause you have all these old people that are like, Oh yay. Oh, we're at the diner. And that just seems so weirdly forced and they all have fucking coffee and there's like little kids in there like one's just like eating ice cream uh you have the uh malachi kid uh you see like actually (laughs) you see him actually in the diner and like as you said you've got isaac outside the window with his hat like yes do my bidding little children as they just like actually brutally kill like you see like little kid like slit old dude's no throat shit. and they're like and they're shoving the guy's head towards like the fucking meat slicer and yeah. shit like it goes heavy but you're like i want to see this shit more often those the whole fucking kids? all these kids in the town just up at one time locked the fucking doors and massacred all the old people it's a fucking wild story don't this, get any ideas out there gen z right Jesus. this movie is like almost 40 years old at this point yeah. maybe even more than 40 years old I, yeah but it's like they went fucking hard for no fucking reason and i absolutely love it like it's one of my favorite just cheesy ass 80s horror movies yes because it's not that good it's like linda hamilton before she was linda hamilton before right. terminator before, before terminator before james cameron got her and said no act <laughs> yeah exactly uh, that kind of fucking performance from linda hamilton and then all these kids like you talk about that opening scene and you get the shitty narration from the one kid and yep. you get the full moon studios special music behind it yeah 
And then you get the the weird ass special effects in the cornfield at the end of the movie. But it's just it's it's so much fun. Like kids are fucking weird and creepy. Right. And like what's scarier than like you taking a road trip with your like loved one and you get like turned around you're trying to get back to one town and these fucking kids start trying to and murder your ass kids try to fucking kill you it's... call you shit like outlander <laughs> i love that fucking outlander outlander we have your woman outlander she lives outlander <laughs> that's like oh it doesn't even matter like i just yell for stevie and i'm like outlander we, we will be an out in public yelling outlander at each other so if you hear that uh <laughs> fucking stop us and say hi because it's probably us yeah it's a fun one it is it is another fun one that uh natalie this is one of your absolute favorite movies yeah Pumpkin i don't know Head. how the fuck we haven't talked about this yet i mean i know we've only this is like episode 15 or 16 that we've done but Pumpkin, I almost said pumpkin head. Pumpkin head. Because I love the way the kids say it in the movie, better watch out for pumpkin head. Better watch out, pumpkin head gonna get you. But pumpkin head is awesome. You get Lance Henriksen, who's a fucking icon. Uh, Stan Winston directed in you know, his studio for the special effects. So you get this kick-ass fucking creature that looks like he's made out of the insides of pumpkin, but like mixed with a demon that someone brought up. Uh, kind of mixed with Xenomorph in a way, like the way his head is kind of long. Uh, he's got a big old whippy tail, I think. But this is one that I challenged you that I didn't think it was very folk horror-y of you, but but I'll allow it because I fucking love Pumpkinhead. Yeah, and uh, you know, well, just... it includes kids going out to basically a cabin. Uh, but they don't quite make it there. They kind of end up there, but there's there's weird local legend, and that's why. Evil Dead why... on this list. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> <laughs> it could be. Hey, we could talk about folk horror for hours, but for Pumpkinhead, I love the fact that you have these kids that are going out. They're supposed to go to a cabin in the woods. Uh, there's like a fucking witch in the movie that tries to help. Uh, you know this guy who's. Uh, summoned Pumpkinhead to try to bring his son back, who he's lost by, of course, the accident with the kids. And, you know, so you have all these elements. You kind of have, again, this this folklore, this story that everyone around knows about. And basically, you know, it's you might get what you want from calling Pumpkinhead, but it's going to be fucking brutal for any teenager in its way. It's kind of a monkey's paw situation. Very you know, much it's like so. you're, it's a, a new twist. On the monkey's paw, you yeah. Know, you you be careful what you wish for. Uh, you just might get it, you know, but you'll get it in a way that you didn't want. Right. It's a little pet cemetery-ish. Very pet know? cemetery-ish. Of course, you know that probably had some influence there, for all we know. But it probably did. And when you think about the pet cemetery movie came out in '89, Pumpkinhead comes out in '90. Right. You know, yeah. It's Who like, knows? yeah, I'm sure they were trying to piggyback on that a little yeah. bit, but it it successfully. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Stan Winston was like. Right, we're going to give you that story, but we're also going to give you a cool fucking creature. Yeah, it's one of my favorite fucking designs for a creature ever. I feel like Pumpkinhead is probably forgot about too much from people, even though he's a huge horror icon. Yeah, got like uh, three or four sequels. Yeah. Um, I've yeah. seen a couple of them. I think They're I've rough. only seen one, maybe. They're pretty rough. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those, you can still watch that first one and absolutely fucking enjoy it. Yeah, the the performance of Lance Henrik Henriksen alone is yeah. uh, worth the the worth its weight in gold. I say the same thing about that shitty Hellraiser sequel he was in. He's the only reason <laughs> to fucking watch it. I was going to say yeah, Lance Henriksen is uh fucking amazing no matter what he does, you know, yeah. but I, I would watch him He makes the any movie better. Book. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's 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 terrific. 
the next one we want to talk about is uh, probably like the start of folk horror because it's folk, you know, it's folk horror literature. The Legend yeah. of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Uh, the film Sleepy Hollow, released in 1999, directed by Tim Burton, all star cast with Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Casper Van Dien. All these legends of fucking hammer horror were in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a phenomenal cast. Like I, I don't like it's it's one of Tim Burton's best movies in my opinion. It is. I agree. I'm uh, as we've kind of said, we're not huge Tim Burton fans, but there are movies of his that I really really love, and this is one of them. This is one of those movies that I saw. And I was like, I want to make this my whole personality. Everything about um, the character, the design, the feel of it, of course, the score. I'm pretty sure you know you get Danny Elfman making this beautiful music. Actually, I'm sure. I think it was one of the few ones that Danny Elfman didn't score. Like, really? Fact check me on that. <laughs> but there are there's like a handful of movies that Danny Elfman did not score for Tim Burton, and I want to say this was one of them. Natalie's fact checking me right now, but I'll give my thoughts on it. Like Sleepy Hollow, like 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 we said, we're not big Tim Burton fans. There was like a 16 year gap where Tim Burton just sucked ass, uh, and this was like the last good movie he made. It was Danny Elfman. It was Danny Elfman. Okay, okay, good. Because I was, I was gonna to get say, I, I know like, that fucking sound. He it, just has the sound. He does. He does. It's it's a uh, yeah. Danny Elfman's music and his score for Tim Burton's movies are, I think, what helped create the Tim Burton aesthetic. Like, yeah. That's why. I feel like if I heard Danny Elfman music in anything else, I'd be like, is this a fucking Tim Burton movie? Right. Well, yeah. and he, and obviously he has scored other movies, but you're right. right. You do, you do have this weird feeling. Like I remember, uh, I think he scored Spider-Man mm-hmm. and uh, the original 2002 movie uh, by Sam Raimi. And I remember hearing the Danny Elfman score and it felt like a fucking superhero movie <laughs> to me because the other superhero movies I had to base it on were Tim Burton's fucking Batman movies, which were scored by Danny Elfman. Like, right. He just has this feel that can, like, Danny Elfman's music can transport you anywhere. And Sleepy Hollow is a terrific example exactly. of that. Exactly. You're immediately in this gloomy little town of Sleepy Hollow, New York, and there's murder mystery about, and they're just like, here, you need a Bible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's like a scientist, of course. But Christina Ricci as... Katrina Van Tassel is just my favorite. Everything about her is just so beautiful and pretty and whimsical. And then you add in this fact that she has like these witch books and she's a practicing witch and she's doing these protective sigils and things. I love all the witchy shit that they put into Sleepy Hollow for this movie. It's even with his little flashbacks. Yes. It's just, they're so good and it's such a pretty movie. I mean, and, and, I haven't even scratched the surface. I mentioned the cast, but you also get Christopher Walken as yeah, the Hessian. I was, I was the about to say. Horseman. You get Sir Christopher Lee in a fucking cameo Walken as the judge. in a winter wonderland. Walken. Oh, it's crazy. In a winter wonderland. <laughs> uh, that's my terrible Christopher Walken impression. You're welcome for that. But uh, Christopher Walken uh, as the Hessian. And uh, fucking, yeah, Christopher Lee, add to the cast. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to say about this, though, coincidence that I didn't think of until we started recording, was I saw a rented, a friend of mine and I rented Blair Witch Project and Sleepy Hollow on the same night and watched them back to back. 
So I'm thinking we did found footage last week with Blair Witch Project. Yeah. We're following it up with uh, Full Core and Sleepy Hollow. There you go. Uh, that's a terrific double feature. I highly recommend to everybody. Blair Witch Project that's and Sleepy Hollow. That's a solid Hollow. one. Uh, yeah. that's, a, that's one I, I, I would love. But let's be real, though. One thing I, I always loved about this movie, and secretly in the back of my mind, was that it's Edward Scissorhands and Wednesday Adams. <laughs> and I, in my head, it was like this weird fan fiction where it was like every fucking goth nerd from the early 90s who grew up in the 99 was like, this is everything to us. Yes. Like, and that's, I mean, but that's how I felt. Like, that was my favorite era of Johnny Depp were those movies before, like, the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie out. And I feel like everything changed and he was just Jack Sparrow all the time. Um, right. You know, he was... He stopped acting. He was great at this, you know, odd, bizarre, fainting Ichabod and... Christina is like I said she's just ethereal you know she's got this beautiful blonde hair and she has there's the scene where she's like a on the white horse and she's in like a blue dress and everything about her just looks fucking amazing like every aesthetic in this movie that's what I said I wanted to make that movie my whole personality I I think a lot of I think a lot of people did it was to me it's peak Tim Burton I know I said it's his best film but it is it's it's where he peaked it was his his best it was his plateau as a filmmaker in my opinion everything else since then has been trying to capture the magic that he had leading up to this and then what he did and accomplished with this movie yeah uh it just it, Tim Burton just hasn't been the same since this was his last real movie where I felt like he was making what he wanted to make and then I after agree. that it was just all commercialized bullshit. This is this is the last piece of art that he really made. I agree. I really do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's you know we love Tim Burton. He, we can't uh, you know we can't say anything bad about anything because he's he, you know he's given us so many things to love. With, well, we can say a few bad things. Right, right. No, but, he's, he's uh, not, yeah, he's not perfect he's, by any means. But yeah, he's kind of. I feel like more and more has been a piece of shit, mainly with the. Uh, character design choices that he has oh uh, yeah yeah very, we, yeah there's there's some very def- yeah. anti people of color right which there's is a, just there's some controversy bullshit. there with tim burton and yeah. kind of his casting choices and i mean it's it's there like i, I mean sleepy hollow is a tremendous cast but there's something that's glaringly obviously missing from yeah. that film literally and, everything he does yeah yeah he is he's yeah he's got his flaws he's got his flaws and you know we'll probably delve into that more as we discuss more of his work throughout the the coming you know weeks months and years but uh yeah. the next movie we want to talk about this was my entry into it where natalie was a little on the fence but she can't fight she can't argue with this one i was a little on the fence but the more we talked about it i was like you know all right i see it so we're talking the ruins yes and i don't know this is a this is a movie i don't this get is another i was gonna say this is like the third one here that we've had that I would definitely put on like a top twenty-five, not talked about, needs more love movies. Yeah, because I don't the know ruins. Why people don't talk about the ruins more. You showed me this movie. You've talked about it. Uh, I think you showed it to me a year or so ago, and it kind of fucked me up. Like it's got some scenes in it that really make my skin crawl, and yep. uh, that's because the plants are like trying to get inside of you. Uh, Literally, but, it's the plants. It's nature yes. trying to kill it, kill you. And the the title is that these tourists these american tourists are down um in central or south america somewhere and they uh are told about these ancient ruins that they have to check out yeah it's, you know it's like, it's like you don't want to go see the touristy shit you want to see the real shit yeah and they go and they're taken to these ruins and you find out that you know there's all these legends and these these you know it's very verboden kind of uh place and you find out the reason that is is because the 
plant, the fauna of the area is literally murderous. It's homicidal and it tries to kill people. Yes. And it's, you get a language barrier because these Americans who are in a foreign land, uh, you know, these locals are trying to tell them to get away from it. Uh, they don't understand. They back closer to it. And one of the guys touches or like walks into the plants and they start screaming louder and louder and louder. Uh, and the guy that's in the plant starts to try to run forward and they shoot and kill him. And so then immediately everyone backs up onto the ruins. Like, I don't want to fucking get shot. So then they're all immediately contaminated because what you realize as the movie plays on is all those leaves have to do is brush against you and you're contaminated. The thing that I would love to have expanded on this movie, though, as I think about it, is it's always at the ruins. I want to know what the locals do to keep it from spreading and taking over their entire forest. Well, I feel like there was potential there. Like, you could have expanded this into a whole universe if you, you know, uh, of, of sequels and franchises and shit. I'll be honest. I think the biggest obstacle this film had to overcome was the fact that it came out the same year as The Happening. And oh, God. When you, dis- when you, when you discuss that plot... That sounds very similar to The Happening. Yeah. So if I saw The Happening fail, which it fucking did miserably. Yeah. And I hear a plot similar to it. I mean, it's it. I think that was that was what it was a victim of. When in reality, The Ruins is a far better film and explores that yes. concept much better than The Happening ever did. So The Ruins, to me, is like if you saw The Happening and you're like, this plot has potential, but it's got Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel. Enough said. Like, <laughs> you know, having like, weird conversations with the plants. Right, yeah. Right. When Whereas you, like, if this... you see that and you're like, this plot had potential, but I don't want to see that shitty acting. Yeah. Go in to watch <laughs> The Ruins because The Ruins has, I mean, terrific cast. You've got uh, 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 Jenna Malone, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, you And uh, Joe Anderson, who's another one of my favorites. Those Love two him, yeah. are fucking heavyweights and carry a, a lot of the acting of the film. Yeah, uh, but they're all they're all really the great. The whole cast does, um, does a terrific job. I know one of the other guys in it, I think... I had seen on a, a, a probably Fox canceled show that was called The River, I think. Uh, so I had already seen him in this kind of weird, like, jungle scape yeah. horror setting. There was an Ashmore in it, if I remember. Yes, there there was <laughs> one, an Ashmore in it. One of the it. Ashmores is in yes. it. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, he's 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 really good at it. But, they, but yeah. they basically, you know, they go up these ruins and there's these leaves and all they have to do is touch them. And they, uh, you know, they're looking for somebody that was supposed to be out there i think and there's a sleeping bag or whatever it's like the guy that's kind of local to the area he's like oh my friend was here he should be here right but he's not there but his shit's there and then they start to hear a cell phone ring down in this hole and they decide to go down in the hole and the coolest thing that made me like lose my shit when i watched this movie is they're uh, they're so close to the sound the girl is and then she turns and you see that one of the flowers on the plant that's growing all over this thing is like doing this weird vibrating movement and you realize that the plants are mimicking the noises that they've heard so it can make the sound of the cell phone of the guy that was there that they most likely killed. Right. The mimicry is one of the most terrifying things of the whole fucking movie. I think my the scene yeah. that got me the most is where um, it's like uh, at night she they realize that it's one of the girls in the 
uh, one of the main girls, she realizes it's under her skin. Ugh, and then you wake yeah. up the next morning. They're like, what are you doing? Because she's not sleeping. You know, she wasn't with them when they all woke up. And they look and she's literally trying to cut it out of her skin. And you see all the spots where she's just hacked her fucking body up. And you're like, it's fucking gruesome. And she just yeah. keeps trying to cut into her fucking flesh. And it, oh, it is, uh, it is very well done. And you still have this. And then there's all this personal drama between the, the, yeah. the main four yeah. You know, these, these couples, oh, it's, it's, I love the ruins. Like, I, like, it's one of my movies. Like I will die on that hill when we're going to do an episode <laughs> in the future of movies that could have been franchises or movies that deserve sequels. And I'm going to go to bat for the fucking ruins, man. I I'm think that had you, potential dude. to be such a bigger deal than it was. I absolutely agree. I feel like this could have been so much more. And, you know, now that you mentioned the same year as The Happening, I'm like, well, fuck. I think that's but, what fucked it, ultimately. You know, it could definitely yeah. be something there. But it is. It's such a scary movie. And you get some really jarring scenes. But you also, you know, you have these people yet again out in these elements trying to survive while these locals keep them from basically leaving. It's like you either stay up there and survive long enough to figure it out or you come down and you die when these locals kill you because they're not going to let you off these ruins. Right, because they know what happens to people who are infected. Yeah, so you, the local legend is with the plants and you never quite understand no. what they are or where they came from. But that's beautiful to me. Like, I don't think, like, you know, everybody talks about it. The beauty of Michael Myers is we don't know what drove him and motivated him. Yeah. It's the same thing with these plants, in my opinion. You don't know what caused this or what started it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I sit here and talk about, oh, if we got a franchise, we would have to explain more. So right. I get it. It's probably one of those things that maybe it worked better only being one movie. But I do love that ending, too, yeah. where he sacrifices himself for and she makes a run for it. It's, it's oh, I, from start to fucking finish, man. Which is ruins. why we need a sequel, because that bitch gets away and she's got that shit growing all over her pants, like all the little, like, plant spore yep. things. Yep. So it basically gets out. Like, it gets out of the right. ruins. Are the ruins what's keeping them there? Is it free now? We don't know. I think it could have been explored further, man. I think there was so much fucking potential for this movie. It's such a good movie. I, I could gush over it. It's, it's definitely super underrated. I don't. I feel like I don't see anybody ever fucking mention no, this movie. But... Not enough people talk about it. We're going to... We're Last movie we're going to talk about. We're going to end it on a low note. We're talking... <laughs> Cabin, Cabin fever. fever. I said we're going to get to it earlier. And I know we do that a lot where we say we're going to get to something and we don't do it because we have ADHD brains and we apologize. But I said we're going to get to Cabin Fever and <laughs> here we are. It is uh, from 2002 and it was directed by the great, legendary, epic Eli Roth. And I say that kind of facetiously because <laughs> he's done a lot for the horror genre. He definitely has an appreciation for it. But on the other flip side, he did give us... Uh, some shitty stuff in Hostel. Yes, he did. Yeah. Very so much he's, so. He's kind of one of those guys, like, I feel very ambivalent. It's like, on one hand, I really love some of the things he's done for the genre, and I love Cabin Fever. I actually mm -hmm. do enjoy Cabin Fever. It's a very guilty pleasure movie for me. Yeah, it's got some shitty, weird acting, but it's it's another one kind of like uh, The Ruins we were saying. It, it makes me really fucking uncomfortable. And, but it, And it's that's the purpose. I mean, right. with movies like The Ruins and Cabin Fever, it is designed to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's made to feel make you feel icky. Like, I, I fucking love it. And one of the things that we love is kind of the humor that Eli Roth brings to the film, too, because there's mm -hmm. the scene in the general store at the beginning where obviously there's you know some some not so great language used yeah uh, but uh, ultimately there's this little fucking kid sitting in front of the general store and Dennis. they keep trying to 
they, they keep trying to talk to him and talk to him and he doesn't say anything. And finally the one guy, the dumbass of the group goes to touch him and sit next to him. And he learns that no one sits next to Dennis. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like little kid just like bites him or some shit, but it's literally, together, I know you're it's so fucking, he's funny fucking losing over here. Cause it's this is, it's one of shit. those movie quotes that we use a lot whenever something just fucking stupid happens, especially if we do something we know we shouldn't do. It's kind of become like, everyone knows not to sit next to Dennis. <laughs> exactly. You know, like that's, that's what we, that's the lesson you have to learn in life. You and know? it's, it's just the fucking greatest. It's such, a weird movie it makes me really uncomfortable like i said the as a woman uh the bathtub scene made me really uncomfortable where she's shaving her legs and it's like first off bitch why are you even shaving over it but you you brought up how this like can kind of eat your brain as well as your body so they're probably a little out of their minds as their bodies are rotting literally but you know they they basically get this disgusting thing it's like a weird body horror movie it, they just are like getting eaten alive by this weird parasite their skin's falling off yeah. and it's just so fucking freaky and like the water is contaminated and it, it's eli it's, roth's love letter in my opinion to the evil dead yeah it, because it's because like, it's kids going out in the cabin in the cabin woods in the woods and then you have weird shit happen because they're fucking stupid right it's it's terrific i love i love the the simplicity of it mm-hmm. and you know he tried to he tried to get too cocky and too cool for school with hostile and stuff and yeah you know so it, you know his career kind of it, it's had some ups and downs and you know he you know shit like green inferno but you know he's Cabin Fever, he really started strong. It, mm-hmm. it was a simple movie with a simple premise and a simple plot. And to me, I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, I don't know why we got a remake so quickly. And it was yeah, it has I remember... literally a 0% on fucking Rotten Tomatoes. That's how <laughs> right. bad the remake is. Exactly. It's so shitty. It's so American it's like, Psycho 2 level. It's, oh, that's another story <laughs> for another day, folks. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, uh, Cabin Fever, I think, per- perfectly encapsulates what folk horror is about. You're out in the middle of nowhere. You're left to the elements, and there's something you can't see trying yeah. to, you know, get the better of you. It's, right. It's, it, and so it's, you know, I say we end on a low note, but it's just, it's it's something that just, to me, perfectly sums up everything. So folk yeah. horror, whether you, you know, fall on the side of being very specific like Natalie or being mm-hmm. very general like Stevie Scares, you know, it's... It, it, You'll agree that these movies perfectly sum that up. This, these were the best movies we could pick that we love. That mm-hmm. if you are not familiar with folk horror or you're just now looking at it through the lens of this genre, because for a long time I didn't even realize that this was a whole genre of film that was out there. Mm-hmm. Like we'd all seen these movies, we all knew they were out there, but now we are more aware these, you know, Cabin in the Woods movies are more than just Cabin in the Woods. They're, right. you know, there's. There's a, a lot of there's witches and there's pumpkin heads and there's <laughs> kids in the corn and you know I know that there's so many especially classic older movies that fall in the folk horror that we've never even seen um, you well, know, I think, just whenever uh, one, I was looking at yeah. stuff but City of the Dead is yeah. one that came to mind when City we were talking about Dead that that was a be, great movie that mm-hmm. we you know caught last year um, very it has folk horror feel to it too so that's what kind of there there are there are some that it's you know it's a little bit of a gray area you might yeah. you know. You and know. there's some that are very, very glaringly obvious, like some of the ones that we spoke about, like Wicker Man and The Ritual. And, you know, whether, like you, what you were saying, you know, 
no matter what you think a folk horror is, I, we would love to hear what you think a folk horror is. So as always, you can always connect with us on pretty much any social media platform at this point besides Facebook. Uh, we're millennials. We're off there. Uh, of course, you can email us at uh, horrorzoidpod at gmail.com. Let us know. Interact with us on TikTok. We want to know what your favorite folk horror movies yeah, are. Yeah, just today on TikTok, as of the recording of this episode, I posted a video on our TikTok saying, I think Scooby-Doo from 2002 is a folk horror movie, <laughs> and I want to know your opinion. Do you agree with me, or do you disagree? So, yeah, let us know that, too. And again, wrong. Well, well, we'll <laughs> see. We'll see what the, the people say. We will. Uh, the people will speak for us. We have had so much fun with this, and we're going to keep going. We are going to keep having fun. So thank you again, and thank you for your support. And on that note, we're going to leave you with this. Bees, not, not the, the bees. bees. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every weekend. Follow us on TikTok at HorrorzoidPod and send emails to HorrorzoidPod at gmail.com with your thoughts, questions, and stories for us to read on a future episode. To all our Zoids out there, stay scary.